if we want to have an emotionally healthy family, we need to start with emotionally healthy parents. And so the, the you have to start it with that caregiver in the in the case of raising a child with a chronic illness. So we need to start there and, and sort of explore what is it that is really busting me up right now. Um, and then we can move to that pivotal relationship with the child that has the illness. And then we move along to the other relationships within the family, and then we can move out to the wider world. So there's this spiral of beginning deep in and then um, and moving, moving our way out. Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live in. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Some of the largest cities in the world with the highest number of priests, parishes, and parishioners are not making disciples and growing leaders. Does that surprise you? Busyness is a thin disguise for impact. This may be your season to have a breakout year. Perhaps you've gone on some conferences and maybe taken some courses. That's a great start, yet you know there's more. If that's you, we should talk. Breakthrough Impact is what we do. Go to ronhuntley.com and let's have a conversation. Now let's go to today's episode. Everyone has a story. And each time I get a chance to connect with new people, I realize we all struggle with one thing or another. Today's guest speaker speaks into this painful reality that so many families face when dealing with a chronic illness. Enjoy the conversation. Lift off and the clock has started. I have the privilege to be with Bonnie O'Neill today. Bonnie is the author of Chronic Hope, Raising a Child with Chronic Illness with Grace, Courage, and Love. Welcome to the show, Bonnie. Thank you, Ron. Thanks for having me here. What an interesting topic. I have so many friends in my life who do have children with chronic illnesses. And so I'm really excited to talk about your book and really break this open for people. I think it'll be of great interest to a lot of people. And maybe I can start by just asking, at what point did the concept for this book uh, evolve? Like at what point did that was that placed on your heart that I should write a book? Oh, yeah. Well, I had, I had already written a book um, that is called My Identity is in Christ. And um, it, that was just meant to be, I, I, had, I had done an at-home alpha course and um, meaning that I was leading it for um, friends in my neighborhood that I had invited. And, um, and I was looking for something to do as a follow-on to that. And so the Lord just like placed that book completely on my heart. I was, I was driving on one of the, the major highways outside of Philadelphia coming home one day. And thank God there was a traffic jam because I like pulled out a napkin and literally wrote the outline for that book, like <laughs> on the Schuylkill Expressway. <laughs> and so that just kind of came, came to me from the Lord in this kind of beautiful way. And then, so this was a few years later and a friend of mine who is a writer asked what I wanted, what I was going to write about next, like what was on my heart. And 
you know, I don't, I don't really know. I was, I was blogging. And so I just writing short form pieces, you know, always these spiritual reflections. And um, so the conversation kind of took a turn in a different direction. And then I was telling her about um, one of these um, education, diabetes education conferences that I had gone to because um, my middle son uh, lives with type one diabetes. He was diagnosed when he was five. And um, so I was on the National Speakers Bureau for JDRF, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, who's the, the leading diabetes fundraisers. And um, yes, um, you know, we definitely are setting the research agenda for type one diabetes globally. And so I was um, speaking at one of these these events, and um, and just. The, the room, I was speaking on the psychosocial impact of this disease on a family. And so I have a long family history with this disease. And so as, as I was telling my story in this, this, um, this setting, this group, like the, you could have heard a pin drop. And the next thing you're, I'm seeing is that like people are crying. And at the end, um, one one father asked, well, when is your book coming out? And I'm like, well, I'm not writing a book, you know? Um, another woman, she, she, was, she was just so broken up and she said, I've just messed up so badly with my son. Like our relationship is so bad because of the way I try to control this illness. Um, like, like it's, it's hopeless. And I, could, and I said to her, it's, it's never hopeless. Like you, you just, you can get a fresh start every day. You just need to go to your son and apologize and, and, and start afresh together. And uh, another woman asked me um, as I was as I was leaving. She found me in the parking lot and said, um, "So, like, are you a therapist? Because I would pay to go and see you." And I'm like, "Well, no." Um, and I don't live anywhere near here. I live down in Philadelphia. And um, so we had a chuckle. And I was relaying this to my friend um, who had asked me what I was going to write about next. And and she just said, "That's what you need to write about." because that's what you're so passionate about. That's what you know so well that you can, you can write out of this deep well of, of, of suffering and of having come to another place with it. And so that was what really started me on the journey of thinking, well, could I really write about this? Because by that point, my son was, he was probably 17, I think, or maybe even, no, maybe he was, yeah, he might've even been older than that. And so all of the, the really difficult places of like that rocked my world like when he was diagnosed at age five that just broke me apart um that, that had happened more than a dozen years before so I didn't know whether I could I could pull out those same um feelings and emotions mm -hmm. and make them be um uh, tangible enough and uh, that you could you could you could feel them in the narrative that I was writing so so I gave it a try and I think it worked. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Well, that's neat how that happened. I love as you're telling your story, how your friend who's a writer and only a writer would say it. So what's next? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah just yeah. As, as a matter of fact, like yeah. once you've written one, let's start writing some more. I just yeah. love that person's encouragement for yeah. you. That's so beautiful. And, and often the best books come out of our experience, like the best mm. songs come out of our experience. Yeah. And so True. And, and, and sometimes it's suffering that really gets us in touch with the, the essence of what it means to be human. Yeah. And, and I think there we can really relate um, to each other in, in new ways. And so 
what, what were some of the things that you learned as you were reflecting on this book? Because oftentimes books, you almost give birth to a book, don't you? Because so much yeah. thought and, and reflection goes into it and wordsmithing to really try to communicate what, what, what's on your heart. So what, what were some of your learnings as a parent going, you know, raising a son with uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I can say it's often said of writers that we write to discover. And, and that is so true with me. There was so much I learned as I, as I wrote the book. Um, one was that um, I ended up writing the book. It, it's not written chronologically, you know, like this was the other than I start the first section is the diagnosis. Um, but, but I write, I write it more like a spiral. Um, and my, my, my viewpoint there is that if we want to have an emotionally healthy family, we need to start with emotionally healthy parents. And so the, the, you have to start it with that caregiver in the, in the case of raising a child with a chronic illness. So we need to start there and, and sort of explore what is it that is really busting me up right now. Um, and then we can move to that pivotal relationship with the child that has the illness. And then we move along to the other relationships within the family, and then we can move out to the wider world. So there's this spiral of beginning deep in and then um, and moving, moving our way out in, from a healthy place. But I also realized as I was writing that along that spiral, when we think that we have conquered something like anger or fear, or the need to control, or the refusal to accept what is. So I'm naming some of the things that I learned along the journey. We, we just when we think that we've conquered it, on this spiral, we realize that we're revisiting it from a deeper place farther out on our journey. So that's what constantly surprised me was that I could have, I wrote a chapter, let's say, about anger right in the very beginning but then later on in my journey, years later, where I'm writing a story that takes place much farther out on my journey, anger still creeps up its ugly head, as does fear, as does my need for control. And so one of the things that I think, and I, would, I joke that I, I often think I could have just called the book Chronic Control because it's so much really about how do we let go of control when we find that life is dishing us up something that we weren't expecting, we weren't hoping for, and we really, really don't like. And so I, I, part, of, part of the journey is learning how to let go of that need for control. Um, and part of my own personal journey also was learning that God is still good, even when life is really not feeling very good. Mm -hmm. Would you be willing to share an example of, of, of one of the control pieces that you had to, you know, that you were convicted at one point that was getting in the way? Sure. Um, I think type 1 diabetes has been described as the only disease out there where the primary caregiver, if your child's diagnosed as a young one, where the primary caregiver is responsible for multiple life-saving decisions on a daily basis. So there's this incredible amount of stress that if you, if you give your child too much insulin, you could kill your child. If you give too little insulin, their blood sugar could just rise so high and over a consistent basis, you're, you're ending up doing organ damage to your child. So this is, that's not how a doctor is going to describe it to you, but that's how you as a parent live it every single day. 
I feel so, anxiety just as you tell me that. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. And when they're, um, you know, my son was diagnosed at five. So he was, he was teeny tiny, but I know like some of my dear friends, their children were diagnosed at, at two or at 18 months, pre-verbal. Um, they can't tell you what they're feeling. Um, they're still napping multiple times a day. And if you just give your child insulin and then put them off to sleep, you don't know if their blood sugar is going to go so low that they will just, you know, drift off to sleep and never wake up. And I could speak from some of that fear because I have a family history that includes some of that. So, um, so for me, a lot of it was just my my desire to try to control the things that my, the choices that my son would make as he would get older. Um, it was this constant effort to control his body that I could not control his body. I couldn't gauge for all the variables of, um, is he having a growth spurt? So he needs more insulin than he did last week. Is he brewing a sickness? So he needs more insulin than he did. How much exercise did he do at, at PE class today or on the playground today? That's going to cause his blood sugar to drop. How much fat was in that meal? Because that will cause it to drop. So there's just all these variables you're thinking about all the time. And just not being able to control that was maddening um, I, and, and frightening. But I think really at a, at a more personal, like internal mm. level, I just didn't want this for my son. Like plain and simply, this was not the life I wanted. And so there was this internal rebellion again of, of just not wanting to accept what was. And I think that's the one that, while the first type of control that I described is draining and is fatiguing, yeah. um, the second type of control that I described is it, just emotionally um, deadening. You know, because if you if you refuse to accept what is, you just really kind of can't move forward. How did you get to a point where that where where you able to break through that? Because again, as you're sharing the situation and the, the things that you would need to consider on a daily basis, I could see out. I, I can't imagine that not completely forming a parent. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, it's going to and. And so at what point do you realize, you know, cause you talked about like, I wrote down when the problem isn't the problem. Like you talked about, you know, the diabetes, you think, yeah. Oh, well, that's the problem. And then yeah. you talked about, well, uh, emotionally healthy parents think, wait a minute, <laughs> that's not the problem. Isn't the diabetes the problem, but it's yeah. like, no, like there are all kinds of levels of things yeah. that are going to be important in a family unit. Yeah. And I just thought, wow, I honestly, I didn't even, Thing to go there and you went there right away and it's like wow and so at what point did you how did, how did you get to the place was it through prayer was it through counseling was it you know was it through your spouse like how did you get to the point where you realize maybe there's some things that i need to manage here or deal with differently or let mm. go of or you know, tell mm-hmm. us about that. yeah i think to to sort of tell that story i kind of have to go back a little bit to yeah. in my my family my personal family history so um, to understand, I think, why this diagnosis was so difficult for me to agree with, <laughs> put it yes. that way and accept. Um, so 
um, I grew up in a family that had um, been affected um, tragically by type one diabetes. So um, I had a brother who died when he was eight years old as they were diagnosing him with type one. And um, it came on very suddenly. He had a, um, you know, it was, it was brewing, but undiagnosed, unseen to my yeah. family and any physicians. And he had a, um, a virus and um, that just um, put his body into a state of DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis. And by the time my parents really realized something was wrong and got him to the hospital, he was already in a diabetic coma. So he only mm. lived a couple of days beyond that. And so my parents were already in their 40s by this point, and they decided they wanted to have another child to replace the one that they lost. And so that was me. So I was born 18 months after they lost their son. And um, so I always knew that that was, you know, not my role in life, but that was why I was born was to replace the one they had lost. And then my sister, um, the only one of us who actually knew our brother, my sister, my oldest sister was diagnosed with type one when she was 16, when I was eight. And so by that point, my whole family, we just lived in fear of this disease. My mother actually delivered her third child a week after my brother died, if you can even imagine that. Oh my. Yeah. So, um, so the two of us, my, my sister Betsy and I were the only two who didn't have this disease. So my mother would throw these urine test strips at us like at once every couple of months and just say, please pee on this strip and tell me that it didn't turn bright red. And right. so we would do that. And we kind of lived with this fear. And I honestly remember on my 25th birthday thinking, okay, I'm safe now. I'm too old for what was then called juvenile diabetes. Um, and I know the oldest person I've heard diagnosed with juvenile or type one diabetes is was 61 years old. So, I mean, it's, it's a misnomer that you can only gotcha. get it as a child. Um, but anyway, I, I felt that I was safe. But then when my son Austin was five, I recognized the signs of diabetes in him, which is frequent urination and intense thirst. And so I just went to the pharmacy. I bought a urine test kit like I had used at home so many times. And I tested him in our downstairs powder room and it came up bright crimson red. And so my world just fell out from under me. Um, we were also the, the week after he was diagnosed, the moving trucks arrived to move us from Connecticut to Pennsylvania. So he wasn't even started on insulin yet because the, the doctors up in Connecticut weren't going to be treating him. So here I am with this little guy not really giving him any insulin, mm. basically told to not give him very much to eat until I could get down to Philadelphia. Oh man! And knowing that my brother had died in that very same early stages of the disease. So um, it was about a, probably a week after we got to Pennsylvania. I distinctly remember standing in my bathroom and a worship song came to my mind. And um, God often speaks to me through, through worship music. Um, and I remember distinctly hearing this voice that I now know is the voice of Satan, but it was a voice that said, so this is the good Christian life. And I bought it hook, line and sinker. And I'm like, 
yeah, no, if this is all that you can do for me, God, I don't want any more to do with you. Because at that point, we had been in this five-year journey of all these medical things. My kids, when we were living in Connecticut for those three years, my kids had um, five cases of Lyme disease between the three of them in a two and a half year span of time. I had been, just before we moved to Connecticut, I had been watching um, my thyroid for potential thyroid cancer for several years and, and had surgery to remove it when I was six weeks after delivering my, my, my daughter, my youngest child. Um, we had three house moves, three different jobs for my husband during this same span of time. And then our last year in Connecticut, my, my, my in-laws lived with us as we were treating my mother-in-law for a, a very, very rare cancer that could only be treated at Sloan Kettering in New York. And at the end of that time, she, she passed away. And so it was this, this season of five years of just one medical wave after another hitting us. And the very final one was my son getting diagnosed with diabetes one week before our next house move. So I just said, I don't want any more to do with you, God. Nothing like if, if this is all you can do for me, I don't want any more to do with you. So felt and, like Job. Yeah. Except I didn't mm. respond like Job, yeah. you know, um, I didn't, and I'm not proud of it, but it was yeah. the, the most important time of my life because I never knew life without God. I, I, I accepted him as my savior when I was five or six years old. Um, don't ever remember not loving him, not having him be a huge part of my life. The silence that I experienced when I told him to go away was unlike anything I had ever, ever experienced. Everything just went dark. And he very graciously let me stay there. Is the only way I can describe it. Of course, theologically, I know he was always there. I just, I truly believe that he allowed that veil to just be a little bit heavier than usual. I had as a, as a young adult often prayed for a testimony, but I said, you know, God, I've, I've, I've loved you my whole life. I don't like, I don't have a testimony. I can't say what it's like to not know you and have you with me. Well, I got my testimony. <laughs> Careful what you wish for. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, after about, after about six months of being like that and being just, just fine to just, I'm really still quite angry at you, God. Um, I remember I, I, I just started to come back to myself. I think, you know, I had a better handle on the disease. Um, the, the sun was coming out again a little bit. And um, I began to just, you know, repent and pray for, for forgiveness. And I did this over and over Again, and I will, I will say this, he graciously allowed me to stay in this place of not finding him. And it was about 18 more months later that we were out in California visiting good friends. She had been my, my roommate in New York after college. And we were on our last night there together. And the, and the four of us, our two, the two couples, we just you know, were having a time of prayer. And it was getting to the place where, you know, you can just tell when a prayer is kind of one of those group popcorn prayers, just sort of like wrapping up slower, more space between the prayers. And I just started praying quietly, like, Lord, don't let them stop until someone prays for me. Don't let them stop until someone prays for me. Someone has to pray me out of this. I know someone has to pray me out of this. 
And we were, like I said, we were just about to wrap up. And then my friend Jacob just starts laying in and just praying, <laughs> rebuking the evil one and just, just praying for freedom and praying for God's blessing on me. And we finished. I was exhausted. I went to bed and I woke up the next day and it was gone. The heaviness was gone. The silence was gone. And the Lord was back. And it was just the most beautiful thing. And um, yeah, so that was the beginning. I needed to go through all of that to, to even begin to say, how do I accept my son's condition and that this is our life? But it had mm-hmm. to have that piece of it with it before I could begin to accept what was. Mm. Boy, I, I hope, you know, my guess is even this theme, this topic, Bonnie, as we're talking about it, you know, there'll be people, lots of people listening to it who have not lived with a child with chronic illness and yet will know people. And I'm guessing they'll mm. forward this link and, and mm-hmm. so that somebody yeah. uh, who has this experience will yeah. be listening. And if you're listening right now and, and that's you and, and you've hardened your heart because of your pain from God and yeah. um, just know that God still loves you and it's never, it's never too yeah. late. And, and, you know, as you were saying that Bonnie, like this, is the best you can do, then I don't want anything to do with yeah. you. And yeah. I, I, I was actually smiling on the inside because I know how much God loves you because he loves all of us. Right. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you, you just be like, Oh, I, you know, you just probably just look at it and go, Oh, I love you. It's okay. Like I, I'm not going anywhere. Like <laughs> I right. love you. Like I'm your dad. Like, uh, trust me, I'm not going anywhere. Exactly. You know, and yet we can go somewhere. Like we can, yeah. we can yeah. go to dark places. And, yeah. and so anyway, I just, my heart goes out to those people and I just love your prayer. Like, you know, you didn't say it out loud here. You're with a bunch of Christians and you've yeah. already said, you know, Hey, I'm, 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 I'm back. Like I want to be back and yeah. you're trying and it's not, you're just not connecting in a way that is resonating with you in any real way. And, right. and, and yet you wouldn't even say it out loud to your closest friends. Yeah. And, and that's not abnormal. Yeah. And yeah. One of the things I realized through it all was that I was harboring an if then theology, you know, if I do my part, then God will do his part according to the way I dictate that it should be. And that has just been such a huge thing for me to recognize that and then to label it. And mm-hmm. so then I can refer back to that if I, when I catch myself doing that again, Um, it's no, no, that's, that's just an if then theology. And that's, that's not how God works. And God is always good, even when life isn't good. And one of the interesting things too, um, you know, I, I would imagine that some of the listeners, even who don't have a child with chronic illness, this will resonate with them. I know when we had the book launch and I was doing a, a book club with some of the members of the book launch team and probably only half of them had a child with even a chronic illness, irrespective of whether it was type one diabetes or not. Yes. But, but everybody can relate to this idea of this isn't the life I chose. And what do I do with that? And is God still good in the midst of a life I didn't choose? And for some people that's, that's a marriage situation or, or ongoing singleness or a career that's not panning out the way they wanted. And at the end of the day, we all have to ask ourselves, like, do I insist that I control every aspect of my life or am I willing to, to lay some of that down um, 
to the Lord. Mm. Yeah, like you see, when you jokingly said, I could have named this book Chronic Control, you probably could just rename it. Don't change anything inside. <laughs> <laughs> Relaunch it. Reach a whole different set of people that would be able to relate to the book. So yeah, I, I could certainly appreciate that. You know, one of the things I want to double back that you said earlier that really caught my attention that, um, you know, this whole idea of spiral, that, you know, I mm-hmm. dealt with anger. And then later on, further down the journey mm-hmm. in a deeper place, I dealt with it again. and couple of things I think about that. I, I think the podcast I launched this week with Peter Jones, he talked about that in terms of addictions. Mm. You know, he thought he dealt with his major addictions and he did yeah. when he came to faith at the age yeah. of 27, but some things started creeping back in again. And so sometimes it's not one and done, is it? Like sometimes mm-hmm. we do have to, I think that's what makes scripture so fun to read because, you know, you've been through it multiple times. And yet when I come at it again, I'm not the same person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, things have changed and I hear things differently and they speak to me differently. And, and, and I think that's the beauty of life, isn't it? Like some of these base emotions we're going to have to wrestle with at different times for different reasons in different ways. Yeah. And, and that's our human experience. It's- yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think the more we spend time sitting with those, either with ourselves or with a spiritual director um, and and just really try to tease out what, what is that? Where does that fear come from? Where does that anger or need for control come from? Where, where have I experienced this before? And it can be really surprising to, to tease that out. Of course, we don't want to do that because that's sitting in the, in the muck and mire of it all. Who wants to do that? But I think... Um, I think that's what God invites us to is to go deep. One of the things we say, I'm, I'm a spiritual director as well. And the, and the head of the, um, the, the school of spiritual direction, sustainable faith that I, that I went through, he says that that spiritual direction is dusting for the fingerprints of God. And I, mm. I just love that. It's like, we, we, we want to sit and see where was God in that? Like, what, where is God in this situation? That's making me so afraid. What does he have to say about that? Um, and also if we sit with any of these things that are not pleasant about ourselves to go deeper with them, we know that we're doing that with God. We're looking at it with him. And so Mm -hmm. he already knows all about it. There's there's nothing to be afraid of. We just go deeper with him and have a look around. Amen. And, and, and two, so much that's where the healing happens. Like that's yeah. where we can get out yeah. of patterns when yeah. we have the courage yeah. to sit in that place yeah. we'd rather not go to, bring yeah. God into it. And, yeah. and and hopefully with a spiritual director or a Christian friend who's willing to go there with you yeah. and pray God's healing into those. Oftentimes right. the Holy Spirit will take you there to set you free. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and I think once you're you, free, you're free indeed, right? Exactly. It's <laughs> so true. And it it is so true. And I think once we can begin to name, identify and name some of these um, emotions and patterns that start to trip us up, that's when we start to be able to recognize them when we are in the middle of it, instead of just always being afterwards recognizing it. I read this Beautiful definition by Dallas Willard that I'll I'll butcher somewhat, but this is pretty close of what self-denial is. Self-denial is when the mere fact that I'm 
do not get my own way does not surprise me or have any control over me. And I, I had to memorize that because so much of our disappointment in life is just that we're not getting our own way. And that, that at the nub was what was happening with my, when my son got diabetes was I wasn't getting my way. Yeah. And when you put it, when you synthesize it to that kind of language, um, it's shocking. It's shocking to realize that, yeah, that's, that's who I am as a person. I didn't get my way. It's surprising me. And it has a heck of a lot of control over me. <laughs> and so for me, that definition of, of Dallas Willard's, um, it helps me to see when I'm just going off the rails, when yeah. I'm, I'm upset about something that I can then question, well, what, what are you upset about, Bonnie? What's really bothering you here? And then I realized, oh, I, I didn't get my way. It surprised me. And it has far too much control over me. And so those are the places where Jesus wants to come and just say, lay it down, lay this burden down. Let me bear it for you. I just think how helpful that is in terms of marriages, mm-hmm. right? That's such a, a wonderful awareness. Uh, I think we should all write that down and recognize that. Yeah, that can really drive our how we treat people and mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. we respond. And you think because that that behavior is so obvious in a six year old, isn't it? Like it's so obvious, right. and, and we're right. way more sophisticated and, and right. evolved, right? You just actually not. It's so true. <laughs> maybe slightly better at hiding it at times, maybe <laughs> not so much at other times. But but that that is so so beautiful. So how did you? Like, I guess a couple of things. One, I really hope that our listeners will pick up this book and for all kinds of different reasons mm-hmm. and read this book. It sounds like a beautiful, beautiful reflection that we can relate to in ways that will bring healing and hope and mm-hmm. blessing and peace. Yeah. And, uh, and I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. Tell me, I know you said at the little at the beginning that you'd done Alpha in your community mm-hmm. uh, with a bunch of ladies, and I know that you're also the executive director at Alpha in the Mid Atlantic. And so, how did that all come about? Tell me. I know we're switching gears a little bit. But, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I guess it is. It is the start to how I I, I wrote the book. So <laughs> it was the second book. So um, my family lived in London from 2006 to 2008, and our church was Holy Trinity Brompton, the, the church uh-huh. that created the Alpha Course. And so um, while I didn't um, do Alpha while I was living in London because I had three young kids and, you know, their, their full lives and whatnot, um, when we came home, we still wanted Alpha to be a part of our lives. And so we... Um, we quickly got involved on the, um, the local board for the, the local alpha, which is alpha mid Atlantic. And, um, I felt God calling me to lead an alpha course. And I hadn't actually ever done alpha, like I said. So, um, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> it says a lot about you. <laughs> Fearless. So I didn't quite, I didn't know who to invite. I, um, I had some ideas of who I, I might invite, but um, I just decided that I needed to pray about this with the Lord. So I had a, a new puppy at the time. And so every day I would walk up and down our, our cul-de-sac street. There were like 40 houses. And I would just pray for each 
house going up and down the street every day for probably six weeks, um, asking the Lord who to, who to invite, praying for them, praying whatever I knew about their, their families and for blessings over them. And so at the end of that time, there were, there were six women that he laid on my heart to invite. And so I asked all six of them and all six of them said yes. And so we did our, we did our home alpha and that was on a Thursday morning. And so I said, right, I better like get a little bit up to speed on what alpha is all about. So at my church, I did alpha on a Tuesday night. And then a day and a half later, I went and let it at my home. <laughs> so you, you received it and then you gave it away all exactly. the same week. Exactly. And it, it's so easy. Anybody can, anybody can lead alpha. There's, there's so many great tools to to help now that are, that are all online. So it's, it, it is pretty easy to run, but, um, so I, I did that. And then I was on the, the board for close to a decade, I guess. And then just, um, was asked to come as the executive director two years ago. So. Mm. Oh, yeah. that's a fun yeah. story. Yeah. That's a yeah. really fun story. You know, one of the things that I find with alpha is that you really get to know people's stories. And that's mm. one of the beautiful. And when you yeah. know somebody's story, it's so yeah. easy to fall in love with yeah. them, no matter yeah. how yeah. different they might feel from you or quirky or whatever else. Boy, when you know somebody's story, all of a sudden, it's really easy to connect in a very authentic way. And, yeah. and that story often includes some form of struggle or suffering. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and, and it's not uncommon for that to be around people's children. Yeah. And, and so I just think, wow, that's really cool. Because again, even as, as we're doing this interview, people are popping into my mind who I know mm -hmm. and many of them through Alpha who, who would um, benefit from reading this book. And so, because yeah, it's just so normal to share our struggles the closer right. that we get to each other. Right. It's it? so true. It's so true. And, and just, just a, a word for your listeners, the, the, um, the book is told in 29 short chapters of narrative and reflection. And so while the narrative piece is my story of raising a child with type one diabetes, the reflection is for everyone. You know, the reflection, it's just, it's a story. It's a, it's a, it's a launching off point to talk about whatever the issue is, whether it's loneliness or control or anger, um, what, what, whatever it is, or family relationships, or um, one of the most important, impactful chapters that I hear again and again in about the book is the, the chapter on marriage. There's actually two. I added a second one after mm -hmm. some readers um, said, we need more of that kind of a thing. Because if, you're, if you can't agree on, on what to do, um, you're grieving differently. Where do you go from there? So the reflection piece is really quite expansive. So it's not, it doesn't stay it, it definitely doesn't stay in the type one diabetes lane and it doesn't even necessarily stay in the, the chronic illness lane. It's gotcha. expansive. So um, hopefully that, that would be an encouragement to, to people um, because we're all, we're all struggling with, with one thing or another that is just mm -hmm. helping, you know, keep, keeping us from feeling free and feeling that freedom that, that Christ wants for us. Mm. Amen. Well, I'll tell you, Bonnie, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. I'm so excited to get to meet you and develop a friendship. Thanks for the work that you do with Alpha, and I hope you keep on writing. Thank you, Ron. Thanks for having me today. And it's, just, it's been great getting to know you and sharing with your listeners. God bless you. God bless you. 
We are all struggling with one thing or another that keeps us from feeling free. I trust that today's episode has been a blessing to you. Be sure to share it with a friend, and if you've not done Alpha yet, please head over to alpha.org and find a course near you. And please take the time to comment or rate the podcast five stars. It helps ensure that we engage more people in a conversation that matters. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time. And remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Thank you.